morning. Welcome to the Presbyterian Church of Toms River. My name's Amanda Hubler, and I'm our director of youth and family ministry here at the church. Whether you're worshiping in the room or with us online, we are so glad you're here. If you're visiting with us this evening for the first time or re-engaging after being away for a while, what a warm welcome we have for you this evening. If you're a guest with us, I would invite you to go ahead and fill out a connection card. You can do that by going to pctr.org connect. And this is just our way of being able to give you a welcome and to share what's going on in the life of the church. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This will be the last weekend for the flower sales. While supplies last, it will go towards supporting our summer trips and youth events. And we will be relaunching church school this tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. And so we're excited to roll this out and re-engage with families, with young children. But we need your help. So the only way to make this possible is for parents and others in the congregation to jump in and to serve. If you're interested or have questions, email Michael B. Give you new batteries. I'm gonna do them all again. Just kidding. Our last. So. For those of you that didn't hear, we're going to be relaunching church school, so that's exciting. We don't want that to be missed, okay? That's going to happen on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. starting tomorrow. And so we need as many people as possible to jump in, to get involved, and to invest in the next generation. And while we're talking about worship, I want to share some with you that's new, this idea of worship pods. And so as we have families with their young children coming back, we're hoping that we'll have more people coming back to church in general as they're comfortable. And so we want to be able to adapt and accommodate this space here in the room. And so if there are people that you are hanging out with outside of the church that aren't necessarily in your household or your family, but they're your people, they're your pod, we're going to call them your ministry pod. And so you guys can begin to sit together. But in order to be able to sit together, when you make the reservation, just one person is going to make the reservation for the whole group, okay? So if there's three of you and you're from three independent households, just have one person go ahead and be responsible for making one reservation. We'll place you guys all together in worship, and then we can maximize this space here in the room. And then lastly, save the date for Sunday, June 6th. We are going to be having a reunion. After a season of being separated, we are going to come together as one body. There will be no Saturday service that weekend. Just one service outdoors at 10 a.m., followed by food, fellowship, and fun. Bring your own picnic and join us at the Grove. God has given us a new song to sing, a praise to our God. Many will see what he has done, and they will be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Let us now stand and worship our God. Amen. Well, so good to be with you in God's presence together. There truly is only one who's worthy of every song that we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. So let's do that together now as we sing, build my life together.
worthy of every song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you Jesus the name Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever sing worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you you hold the Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me. Give your love to those around me. worthy of every sin worthy of every song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you Jesus the name, Jesus the name above every other name, Jesus the only one who could ever say you are worthy, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. I will build my life upon your love. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in
we do need to open up our eyes to you, Lord, because great is your love, great is your strength and your mercy. And you have us every step of the way. Please join us as we sing, Open Up Our Eyes. it's hard to see we have blind spots around us and we need to come to realize what's in those blind spots and confess those and realize that we sometimes go our own way and so let us do so now in prayer eternal God both our judge and our redeemer we ask that you would search us know our hearts know our minds we are often unwilling or unable to acknowledge what's wrong in our own lives. 
content with the way that things are, reluctant to make the changes that you call us to make. We have become comfortable with a life that's less as you intended. So come quickly to us. Forgive us. Renew us. Transform us. Hear us now as we silently confess to you. Hear the good news. Christ forgives us and forgives what seems impossible. He overcomes our great fears, our loudest cries, and breaks down the barriers of love, that love and peace might come in. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are made whole and renewed. Hallelujah and amen. For our love endures forever. For your love endures forever, oh, your love endures forever. Open up our eyes to mount us with your light, your love endures reading this evening comes to us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. Here the Jewish leaders are questioning Jesus. Hear now God's word to us. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, the new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Amen.
Lord, we offer this song, we offer ourselves to you, our way maker, knowing how faithful you've been time and again and that you will continue to be faithful in each of our lives. Even when we can't see it, when we won't see it, we know that you're always at work. We put our full trust in you. Let's sing Waymaker together. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. Yeah. 
Even when I don't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. When I don't see you working, even when I don't feel it working, never stop, never stop working, never stop, you never stop working, even when I don't see you working, even when I don't feel it working, never stop, never stop working, never stop, you never stop you are. Every good work, promise keep Riding the darkness for God Very soon you are You are a miracle worker Promise keep Riding the darkness for God Very soon you are Very soon you are Jesus Christ made a way for us to come back to him. Miracle worker, promise keeper, a light in the darkness. What powerful images. But for me, the most powerful piece of that song comes from a different lyric, where we read that God never stops working. He never stops working in us, and he never stops working in our world. Now, that reality for us is one of comfort and one of challenge. It's comforting because we know that God is always with us. But it's challenging because we have to ask the question, am I letting God change my heart? Am I doing the things in life that are working toward his kingdom? Am I there working alongside of him? Well, our time of offertory in our worship service gives us an opportunity to just show the world what our hearts are really like by the way that we share our tithes, our offerings, and our gifts with others around us, by the way we work together in God's kingdom. And we have an opportunity to do that now. Although we're not going to be taking up an offering during the worship service, 
Uh, if you brought your gift with you tonight, there's a box over by the door on your way out for you to leave it there. But you can also continue to give as you have been so generously giving already. You can mail your check to the church. You can go online to pctr.org give. You can text a gift to the number on the screen, or you can set up an auto bill pay with your bank. As we prepare now to support God's kingdom with the gifts that we're going to give, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, you have shown us your great love by sending your son to sacrifice his life to pay the price for our sins and making a way for us to come back to you. You call us to show the world who you are through how we live, by what we say, by what we do, and how we share our lives with others. We thank you, Lord, for always working nonstop in our lives, for keeping your promises, and for being our light in the darkness. With grateful hearts, we offer these gifts today and trust that you will use them to feed bodies and souls and to grow your kingdom in our midst and in our hearts. We pray all this in the great name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Your faithfulness to me. 
Absolutely. In the Bible, the, the idea that the day starts at, the, at sunset and that uh, under normal circumstances, we go to bed, but God keeps working. And when we wake up in the morning, we join him and he is faithful and working in the day and in the night. But we are limited and we join him in the midst of that and enjoy his faithfulness. Let us pray and now giving praise to him and also being transparent with what weighs heavy on our hearts and minds. Please join me. Lord, you are truly amazing and wonderful and beautiful. In you, all by yourself, is relationship, is love, is justice, so many different things, Lord. And we also recall your faithfulness that while we are finite, you are not. You go on and on. You are transcendent. And as we lay our heads on our pillows tonight, you are faithful and continue to work through the night and the day. And it is our honor to be able to join you each day to recall your faithfulness and allow you to move and act in our lives. Lord, there is so much room for you to move and act in our lives in our state, our nation, in the world. We are hearing news erupting of conflict in a variety of different places, including the Middle East. Age-old conflicts, Lord. We ask that you would raise up peacemakers, that there would be an end to violence, and that there would be peace, more than the, the absence of violence, but that your shalom would come upon that place and the peoples of that place and in our lives, Lord. We need your shalom. Lord, we continue to wrestle with this COVID pandemic. And Lord, we realize that eventually it will fade 
to the back and we have to overcome our fear and be renewed and that's when the that the the pandemic will come to a close this this difficult chapter this hard chapter this chapter of loss and difficulty and so very much more lord we ask that it would move farther and farther away that we would be able to feel confident again and safe again that we would be able to mourn those who we have lost that we would be able to find new work and new means and be able to connect with those around us. Students would be more free in their schools and in their sports, and we would all be set free again by your mercy and your grace. Lord, we lift up to you the start of church school for the kids and ask that it would um, happen in, uh, in, a in a progressive way to be safe and be a, a connection again between young people and other young people and um, the, the adults that are there that are uh, stepping up and helping out however they can, seeking to reflect your love and your grace and your mercy. We pray that the details would come together, that your love would shine through in those times tomorrow and in the weeks and months ahead. Lord, we think of those that are in need around us. Maybe it's us ourselves, maybe it's a, a relative, someone in our household, um, someone in our circle of friends, or, or, or someone even far away. Lord, we lift them up to you and lift them up by thinking on them in the silence of these moments. Lord, thank you that we can trust that you hear our prayers, prayers in our heads and our hearts, in our prayers throughout the day, whether it's under our breath or out loud or in our weeps, weeping or, or whatever it is, Lord, we, that you hear our prayers, that the Holy Spirit lifts them up to you, and we trust that the Holy Spirit is lifting these concerns up to you now and trust that you will move and act in them. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be here and move in our hearts and our minds, that we would be prepared to receive the word that you would have for us through the reading of your word and through the proclamation thereof, that we would come to know you more, that we would love you more, being connected by the love that you have shown us already before we ever had anything that would be worthy of um, being in your presence, Lord, because there's nothing that we can offer you. It only all good things come from you, and you move to us, and you extend us grace and love. Help us to hear that now, these next minutes. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. Thank you. It's good to be with you this evening in worship. It's good to be able to share the Word of God with you. If, if we haven't met, I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm the other pastor, and it really is great to continue together our sermon series that we've called Renewed Life After Disaster. And we're in this series, as you can imagine, because we're starting to think about what life after this year, this pandemic, could be like. Life that could be renewed. But I want to tell you that this series is about so much more than that. 
Because there's one reality in life that is absolutely true. There's more than one, but this is true for sure. There will be hard times. There will be times when you feel devastated. There will be disasters that come into your life. And it's always going to be the question before us, what are we going to do? And what will the vision be that will carry us through it? And as we start to think about life on the other side, what could that be like? And so this whole series is about pursuing the renewal that God intends for us that's on the other side of disasters. And so we're on a journey together. We're following the book of Ezra, because in the book of Ezra, we get to follow God's people as they are being renewed, as they're emerging from a 70-year season of disaster, where the people had been taken out of their homeland, they'd taken captive in Babylon, where they were living in exile, where the temple of God had been absolutely wiped out, and the towns and cities of Judah had been destroyed, an incredible loss of life. Disaster. But through this book, we start to see how God is renewing them. And so we began our series looking at how the reality is God works through these disasters for his good purposes in our lives. He works in them and through them to shape us and teach us and discipline us because he has something greater, something bigger, something more beautiful that he wants to do in our lives than even before the disaster came. The next week we asked the question of ourselves, what are we investing in? Are we investing our lives in renewal or are we investing our lives in the things that make sense to us, make us feel comfortable or good, or are we investing in every way in the renewal that God wants to bring about within us, but also in our life together corporately as well as our communities. Last week, Pastor Christian, he invited us to reconnect with God. That fundamentally, life after disaster is a reconnection with God and to find in Jesus that he is the water that cleanses us from our past sin and rebellion those disasters that we bring into our own life. We also can find in Jesus that he is the light that leads us out of the darkness of devastation into whatever that new thing that he's going to do for us, that new future. Well, today as we jump in, we are going to see how the people of God take a major step forward toward life renewed. But what we'll see is that the people are mixed about how they feel about it. It reminds me actually a little bit of of growing up in a a relatively small town, Evergreen, Colorado, which was about eight miles up into the mountains. That's where the exit was off the interstate. And I remember growing up when they decided to put in a two-lane highway all the way from the interstate to into town to connect with this little stretch of two-lane road that went each way. And so after they finished, it was seven miles of two lanes in each direction from the interstate right to the edge of our quaint little downtown. And certainly people had mixed feelings about this. For some, it was incredible because it meant less traffic on their smaller side streets and they could get to everywhere they wanted to go without ever having to drive on that new ugly monstrosity, right? And for others, it was awesome because it gave such quicker access to the interstate. 
And because so many people commuted actually down the mountain into the Denver area for work. It also meant new neighborhoods could be built, and so more people could move into this beautiful, aptly named town of Evergreen. Well, for others, it wasn't so great. Because all of this faster traffic meant that the quiet little town was, you know, becoming unruly. And yes, there was uh, an increase in access, which meant there were more people. And a lot of people had moved to Evergreen because they didn't want to be with people. That's why they left Denver in the first place. And so they were not so happy that more people were moving into town, including my best, best friend in 7th and 8th grade who had moved in because of this new road that had been put in. For some, this new thing that was happening was an incredible gift, a, a cause for joy, and for others, it was disappointment. It was painful. This road was an incredible investment in our community, allowing for a whole new future to emerge, and you know, renewal, this renewed life was good, but man, it also was hard. And so we're going to look at that similar experience that the people of God have in Ezra chapter 3. And I'll invite you, if you want to follow along, uh, you can find the words on the screen. But let's listen together as God's word speaks into our lives this evening. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad, and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with their trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. Let's pray as we move into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that though your word was written down across a huge swath of time and history, you continue to use it by your spirit to speak right into our everyday lives. Lord God, would you take this word that's been read by your spirit transform it from history on pages to to being alive and active within us, that ultimately you would use it to shape us, prepare us, to move us toward renewal that you intend. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So 
the people actually in chapter 1 were sent back from Babylon to Jerusalem with the explicit instructions to rebuild the temple. And here we are now halfway through chapter 3 when we start reading. In the second year after they've returned and they haven't even begun. They've been getting themselves settled, building their own homes. They've been trying to figure out how to, you know, just make everyday life work. If you've ever moved, you kind of know what that's like. You've got to figure out where the grocery store is. You've got to figure out where your new doctors are, right? They're, they're trying to figure this out. But they've got a mission. And life renewed for them centers around the rebuilding of the temple, putting God back at the center of their life in a way he never had been before. And so they begin in the second month of the second year, the building project. They give the money to the masons and the carpenters and all the people who have skills and trades. They arrange for logs to be brought in from Lebanon. They actually were, were told they traded olive oil and other goods with the people of, of Tyre and Sidon. And, and actually commentators have noticed that the account of this beginnings and this building of the temple is incredibly similar to when the first temple was initially built. King Solomon had actually arranged barter with the people of Tyre and Sidon that they also would send the logs from the cedars of Lebanon and would bring them in to be used for the building of the temple. There's an incredible parallel that is happening here, and I'm sure not by mistake. They even actually started the construction of the temple, the rebuilding, in the same month that they had started the construction of the first temple. All these parallels probably intended to get our minds thinking about how incredible this will be when the temple is rebuilt. And finally, as they are working along, the foundation, just the foundation of the temple is complete, and that is... Just that alone was enough to warrant an incredible celebration. And so the priests go and they get all their, you know, robes and hoods and hats and whatever else they got to put on and, they, you know, their, their vestments and they get their trumpets and they start blowing their trumpets and they've got the Levites who are there with cymbals clanging behind. And, you know, I kind of have the picture of that monkey with the cymbals and, you know, whatever. It's this incredible noise, this incredible celebration because the temple is on its way, Right? It's this moment where they then are singing just as David was singing in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 when the ark of God, this thing that represented the very presence of God among the people, was brought back to Jerusalem after, after being away from Jerusalem for years and years, was brought back in, and David cries out and pours out his heart in this beautiful psalm and prayer, and he sings out just as they do, God's love, he is good. His love for us endures forever and ever and ever. You can just kind of feel the, the emotion of the moment. You can feel the excitement. You can feel the people leaning in to those parallels of their past going, man, it's happening. It's really happening. Renewal. We weren't sure it would happen. We, we, we've been living in this disaster and this devastation, and we weren't sure we would get there, but finally, we're making these tangible steps. Finally, things are moving forward. Finally. So what's not to shout about? I think we get moments like this as we emerge from various disasters. We've gotten moments like this even as we're coming out of this pandemic. I mean, uh, some of us, I know, wait every week to, to hear the governor's press conferences. 
And we hope that there's going to be another restriction removed and there's going to be more opening and more progress. And it's like, finally, we're going to make some traction. We're going to get there. Life's going to happen. And we get a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more. Other, other ways this happens in our lives where you go from, from getting nothing to finally a few nibbles for job interviews, a few chances, a few opportunities. Yeah, maybe, maybe the change is going to happen. Maybe I'm finally going to get the job that I need. Or maybe you just finally make it through a day without crying. And it feels like maybe renewal is possible. We have these moments as we emerge from disasters in our lives where, yes, it feels like renewal is real and it's possible. Feels like a foundation, yes, pun intended, for renewal is really laid in our lives. And that's what it was, this foundation. It was a foundation. It was the thing that they were standing on saying, yes, this is the tangible proof that renewal is on its way, that a new thing was happening right here in their midst. And so, particularly, those who are young, those who were born in Babylon, those who hadn't seen the previous temple, they were ecstatic, shouting with joy. But you probably saw that not everybody seemed to be quite as happy about this new thing. We're told in verse 12 that many of the older priests and Levites, the family heads who had seen the former temple, wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. They wept out loud. Why would they be weeping? I mean, why would they be weeping when this thing is happening right before them? We're told in that, in that sentence, it's really because they had seen the old temple. That's the only reason we're given. And so what was it about having seen this old temple that caused them to weep? Were they weeping out of joy? Because renewal was finally happening? I don't know. I, I've had moments in my life where I've just been so overcome with the possibility and the hope and the joy of a moment, and I've wept. I wish that was the case here. I don't think it is because we see, we see in this verse that there's a but at the beginning of it. This but is, a, is in contrast to, it's as opposed to, it's, it's, you know, everybody was shouting, but they were weeping. You know, it, it seems to be in opposition and so there's something about seeing, having seen the old temple that causes them not joy to shout, but to weep in sorrow, in disappointment, in frustration. Maybe it's because this is just the foundation and it's taken so long to get to this point and man, they've realized they have so far to go. I know we've felt like that over these months. You've probably felt like that in your own journey, in your own life of going, man, yes, I can see renewal. There's glimpses, but man, it feels like this road is never going to end. Yep. Maybe the reality is they're, they're weeping because they, they know that they're looking at the footprint of this temple and they're saying, man, wait a second. This thing, this is tiny. I mean, the old temple was huge. It was glorious. It was beautiful. It was majestic. It was awe-inspiring. This thing, we actually know because the prophet Haggai has to address this problem. And the people are upset because this is a tiny, small temple. This is, this is weak. It's insignificant. And so, man, they had been hoping for something even bigger and better, and what they were getting was this? Man, that, is that renewal? Man, that's disappointing. I thought we were going to get something better than that. 
Maybe, maybe they're weeping because of that temple that they had seen. Man, it's just such loss and grief. Maybe they're remembering all of the pain that's gone with it. Maybe they're remembering all of the joy that they experienced in the old temple and they realize, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get that in this one. I mean, look, not only is it smaller, the Ark of the Covenant, which was at the center of the temple, it's nowhere to be found. We, we, don't, we don't even know where it is. We, so we're going to build this temple, but there's going to be no Ark. Remember, that was God's presence that came back into Israel. When, when the Ark came in, David rejoiced. We don't even have an Ark. And so it's new, but it's also different, and it's hard. And I think this is a reality that we experience. That renewal, in the midst of renewal in life after the disaster, life often gets harder before it gets easier, before it gets better. It often hurts worse before we get the healing. Remember, I was talking actually this week with, with my oldest son, Wesley, and I don't even know how the subject came up, but we were talking about road rash. Of course we were. And it made me, it reminded me of growing up in, in Colorado again, where all winter long, they don't use salt or brine on the roads. They use gravel. So there's constantly trucks just pouring gravel all winter long, all over the roads to get rid of the ice, to get rid of the snow. And so inevitably when spring comes, there's still gravel all over the place. And so I remember so often I would go out to ride my bike and, you know, you're riding on the road, but then when cars would come, you'd have to get over to the shoulder where all of that gravel had been pushed over the course of the weeks and the months. And so you, now you're riding on the pavement, but on top of gravel. And so I can't tell you how many times I slid and fell off, on my bike, off my bike, and the road rash was incredible. Because then you'd get all this gravel in, you know, in your legs and in your hands and I'd inevitably go home, and my mom's solution to it was always hydrogen peroxide. Always. I mean, and I'll tell you, eventually I came to appreciate it. I just kind of liked how it fizzed and bubbled and, you know. But it hurt like mad. Right? And, and it's what was needed to get it clean so that I could get to a place where I was healing. But, man, it hurt way worse to have hydrogen peroxide put in there than it ever did to get the road rash in the first place. Right? It hurt more before it got better. And I think that happens in our lives when we face all sorts of disasters. It hurts more. It gets harder before it gets better because in order to get to the place of renewal, there are times where we have to actually face the darkness that we've been trying to pretend wasn't there, where we have to acknowledge the pains and the hurts, where we have to actually explore the feelings and the experience of having lived in disaster, where we have to look, at the, look ourselves in the mirror and own our failures. And man, that's not fun. That hurts. But it's the pathway from the place of disaster to renewal. Sometimes it means we have to name the truth. There was a, a woman, a, a wonderful woman, who loved Jesus, and I was walking with her for a number of years, and she was growing in incredible ways in her relationship with God, and she was stepping into service in the life of the church. And we started meeting together with some regularity to, to counsel her through some challenging things. 
And she would share parts of her story. And it, I mean, there was so much pain. And I mean, there was layers and layers to, to the hardship over many years. But she, it always felt like she was holding something back. And there were times where we would just sit in silence for extended periods. I'd gently offer space and invite if she wanted to share something. I'd ask a question and I would just simply wait in prayer, just praying over her, aware that the Lord needed to do something within her to help move her toward renewal. And so we would sometimes sit there for extended periods and I would watch her body as she was experiencing the pain that she could not name, as she was reliving. Eventually, she shared. She named the truth of the abuse she had faced at the hands of her sibling, her parents calling her a liar for years, though they knew. And the, the fallout of that reality and the life of disaster that had come, the incredible pain, it was way harder, way more painful on the way to renewal. And yet it was the pathway for her to freedom where she began to break out of the bondage of a previous way of living, of seeing herself, a, a, claiming a new identity as a beloved child of God, leading her into increased confidence, even reconciliation within her own family, tender moments shared at her parents' deathbeds. But the reality was renewal required it to get way harder before it could get better. Because that journey of introspection, of facing those realities, of acknowledging and naming the truths that we have been trying to avoid can be really, really hard. Even emerging from this pandemic, this disaster, just starting to take steps into regular life, whatever that exactly means again. Have you had the experience of, you know, you venture out and then suddenly you find somebody closer to you than you had expected and you kind of have this like gut reaction? It's a weird feeling to have among humans, isn't it? Somebody reach to shake your hand and you didn't know what to do with it? Like, do I take it? I mean, those are simple, strange, harder, weird things that we have to navigate on our way to a life that is renewed on the other side of a pandemic. See, renewal can be hard for all sorts of reasons, but it can also be hard simply because it's different. Because renewal is not just putting back what it was. There is something new, by definition, involved. And so in this case, it was a temple. It was very similar. It probably had the same design generally, but it was smaller. It was different. It was not going to be exactly what it was. So it had hints of the past. It had things that were valuable that needed to be held onto and brought forward, but it wasn't exactly the same. And so there was this reality of renewal, but it was different. We don't like different. Not really. Because Here's the thing, change is loss, isn't it? There's uh, leadership researchers and authors, Ron Heifetz and Martin Linsky from, from Harvard Business School, and they've written a number of books, and in one of their books, Leadership on the Line, 
subtitle is Staying Alive Through the Dangers of Leading, but they're talking, they talk about the reality of leading through change, that one of the big challenges of leading through change is that we all resist it. But here's the thing. They say this, people don't resist change per se, they re- resist loss. Because if you think about it, everything in your life that changes means that there was a loss. Even if it's simply you painted this wall blue instead of white. You lost something. You may have gained something. Maybe not if it was blue, but depends on the blue, maybe. But you lost something. You know, we obviously know that the change of, of losing people in our lives, losing relationships, losing jobs, obviously those, are, those changes have incredible loss associated with them. But even positive things and gains in our lives can have loss associated with it. Just if, any, if you've had children, you know that. Every positive gain also meant loss because there was change. Things that had to be given up. Not that you wouldn't give it up every single time. That's not the point. There's loss involved. And we resist loss. And so when we're coming into renewal, something new will require something to change. And therefore, we will have to lose something in the process. And so I wonder for you, what might need to change? Maybe it's right now in your life. For you to step toward renewal, what might need to change in order for you to position yourself in a way that the Holy Spirit can bring renewal to you? Is it a matter of really examining your practices and priorities? I mean, do you need to spend time actually listening for God's voice? Maybe it's opening the Bible because that's something that you're like, yeah, you probably should do that, but, you know, I don't really do it with any regularity. Spending that time actually hearing from God what he'd say to you? Maybe, maybe it's a matter of you actually have to say no to other things because who has any more time in their, their day to add more stuff? You will have to lose some things probably in order to change some things, in order to posture yourself and position yourself for renewal to take place. And so will you make a different priority but lose some things along the way? Maybe it's a a matter of the need to change your communication. And so you you may need to have some hard conversations with yourself or with some people in your life that you've been trying to avoid those hard conversations with. And so the loss that that you're going to experience might be the reality of having to step into conflict, and that hasn't necessarily gone very well. But it's willing to take the risk Losing this safety of saying nothing for the sake of a renewal of a relationship, of your life, of your future, but there might be loss. Maybe it's a matter of needing to forgive and let go and not still hold on to the bitterness. And the change means your freedom, the loss, is your pain of having to take on the cost of that forgiveness because it's not free. Forgiveness has to happen because there's been hurt inflicted and so there's cost involved. So the cost can be paid perhaps and probably not without the grace of Jesus Christ in your life reminding you and giving you the experience of his radical forgiveness for you. But what might the change be in your life that you need but what might you lose in the process? I wonder for us as a church, corporately, 
What might need to change as we emerge from this pandemic so that our life can be renewed, so that our faithfulness to the, the work that God has given us as a church can be renewed as we come out of this? I mean, the reality is that just a month or so back, we, we came to a place in history where only 47% of Americans identify as members of a church. Lowest it's been since the 1930s. And didn't we all think that a pandemic would drive people back to faith? Doesn't appear to have accomplished that. And so, what's it going to require? What do we need to change as a church to faithfully live out our calling, to be those who make disciples of all nations, to be those who are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. What's going to need to change? And it's not just about this pandemic. This has been happening in America for years and years and years. There's a, a book called You Lost Me by um, a guy named David Kinneman. He's the president of, of Barna Research Group, this huge research group that's doing all sorts of research about the, the state of Christian faith and culture and the interaction between the two. And so he wrote this book, and it, it's actually a, an exploration of folks in their 20s who grew up in the church, in, heavily involved in the church. And it's this the series of stories and research on the state of 20-somethings who grew up in the church. I keep saying that because it's so important. This isn't just about those who have no church background. This is about those who grew up in the church. 59% of those in their 20s have dropped out completely from the church. 59%. I'm surprised it's that good. He goes on to unpack that. The reality is he called it You Lost Me because that was the feedback that he kept getting from these 20-somethings that the church as it has stood in America for decades and decades and decades has lost our young people. And so it's not just our young people today, it was our young people 30 years ago that we may th have thought things were going incredibly well, and we so we continue to do the things that we've always done, and we continue to move forward with the same types of approaches to trying to, to raise up the next generations in faith. And what we're seeing is decreased and decreased and decreased effectiveness. He concludes that the church has failed to train and equip young people to live into the future. He says that the church is overprotective, a creativity killer not wanting or allowing young people to engage with the culture around them? How are they ever going to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth if they can't actually engage with the world that they need to be the light and the salt in? Concludes the church is shallow, full of cliche answers to real-life questions. And here's the thing. The questions have changed, and the changes in culture have increased at a pace that we've never seen in history over the last 50 years. As technology has gone crazy, but the church has not engaged this real world, this real change, this avalanche of information and misinformation with much beyond the cliches that can help these young people engage in a, in a serious and honest way. The church is anti-science, not allowing for doubts or questions to be asked, repressive, exclusive, 
all of these conclusions about the reality of the church. And so the, the appeal is often, okay, well, yeah, of course, this is just the 20-somethings. When they get to their 30s and they have children, they'll be back. It was known as the boomerang effect. They'll go out, they'll sow their oats, but they'll come back because that's what we did. And it was what we did. And with every generation, that becomes less and less and less the norm. So the question comes back to us, what might we together as the church need to change in order to faithfully live out our mission to pass the Christian faith to the next generations? Because it's not ours to hold on to and possess forever, it's ours to give away so that they can turn around and give it away to their children and their children and their children. What might it take to get renewal? Oh, but here's the hard part. <laughs> Remember, the young people were really excited when this, te this temple foundation was laid. And those who were the leaders, those who had been before, wept. We might be disappointed. Change might cost us something. Is it worth it? You see, this isn't the first time the church in history has faced this by any means. We're in very good company. Go back to the book of Acts chapter 15. You have something known as the Jerusalem Council, and at the heart of this council was the church wrestling with what might need to change in order for renewal to happen because there was a whole group of people saying, all right, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish background people, when you come to faith, you have to be circumcised. You've got to follow the law. You've basically, you've got to become Jewish to become Christian. So we want you to conform to this whole way of being so that you can be a part of what we're doing over here. And so they had to wrestle this out. Was that a requirement or had Jesus fulfilled all of those requirements of the law in such a way that all they needed was to hold on to faith in Jesus and then they could be fully included in the body? And the church had to wrestle with this deeply. They wrestled in prayer. They wrestled in conversation. And the Holy Spirit led them to a place where they made a decision. And some people lost for the sake of renewal. And it was determined that faith in Christ alone is enough. That he is the source. He is the one that brings us back to reconciled relationship with God and therefore with one another. And that was enough. The church gave up its way of seeing things, its insistence upon conformity to see a new thing happen where then the Christian faith exploded and took over the Roman Empire, the known world of the day. It was renewal on a grand and epic scale. And so here we are, looking at life after disaster. With the question before us, what will we do with it? What needs to change? because renewal will bring change. What does God want to change among us? What does God want to change in you, in your approach to him, in your approach to your neighbors, in your approach to your everyday living? Because he wants to make you a new wineskin filled with new wine that can be fermented beautifully 
that can become even more delicious, more rich, more beautiful, more wonderful than the old forms that you held on to before and that we held on to together, and we can see something glorious happen, and the generations behind us will come to a faith in Jesus Christ, know him as Lord and Savior, will bow their lives before him, and will then give themselves back in this incredible purpose-filled living where they will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's our longing. It's my longing. For the next generations behind us, that's what renewal looks like. What's God going to do? It might require us to change. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful that when faced with the question of allowing us to simply die or to be renewed, that you were willing to pay the price. That, that Jesus, you gave your life for us so that we could be renewed from the inside out, so we could be healed, we could be set free, that we could have new purpose, new meaning, new joy. Lord God, but I confess and acknowledge that change is hard, renewal is hard, that it's trying I confess, I don't want to let go of the things that I'm comfortable with, the ways I'm comfortable functioning. And so, Lord, we need you to lead us, that we can see your renewal happen individually among us so that there can be revival in our hearts and our lives and our souls and that there can be revival in your church as we step into life on the other side of this pandemic and life in the midst of this very real world that is dying apart from you. Lord God, May you lead us. And Lord, may we be willing to follow, even when that requires change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And as we walk towards renewal and the healing that we need, may we remember that when you speak, that you shatter the darkness, your voice awakening your church, because your name is power, Lord. Please rise and sing that truth with us.
some flowers and support the youth mission. I'm just going to ask that you kind of come toward the front and we'll try to get the traffic going a little bit in a circle so we're not running over each other. But uh, man, we just sang it. Holy Spirit, let us hear it. When you speak, the church awakens. We believe the change is coming. Holy Spirit, let us see it. I don't know what the change is, but God wants to renew your life individually and our life together so that we can live into that future that new and glorious future that he has for us and for our children and our children's children and the generations to come. Go out and live with the guiding of the Holy Spirit with you each and every day, that you can follow his voice together. We can love the one who loved us first. 
In Jesus' name, amen.